everyone, and welcome to episode 57 of UConn 360. It's the only quarantined podcast in the known universe that covers the University of Connecticut from every conceivable socially distant angle. My name is Tom Breen. I'm your facilitator of sorts. Joining me, as always, remotely from four different locations are Maxine Philavon. I'm coming to you live from New Haven. All right. Julie Bartuka. Here in Weathersfield. And Ken Beth. From the Mansfield Center Bureau. How's everyone doing? Doing all right. Not as great as last time, but hanging in there. I stole from my husband this comment that things are getting dire because I'm running out of seltzer, which is my favorite thing to drink. And I'm almost out. And my Amazon order of seltzer is not coming for another week or so. So, no, I'm I'm very lucky to be where I am and all of that safe at home. Yeah. Maxine, what about you? What's the student experience uh, like in, like, I think it's week four of our new normal? Online classes have been going okay. A load has been taken off my shoulders because I was able to switch a class to pass-fail, so it's not as intense anymore. So I think that part is going well for me. I've been very into uh, making bread for the past week, so I made some sourdough starter. You and Um, everybody else. I know. I think I'm contributing to the egg shortage and the flour (laughs) shortage, which is not good. But uh, I made some very good bread last week. I don't even know my days. I don't think it was last week. I think it was earlier this week. But yeah, that's how I've been I've been doing. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. Ken, how are things in the Mansfield Center Bureau? Well, as you know, they've been busy. I've been writing, uh, doing interviews. A couple of stories have been posted already, and uh, there's media requests coming in. So there's no shortage of things to do, including monitoring the noise outside the window. <laughs> and here in Manchester, I have painted a face on a volleyball, and I am talking to it like it's a person. <laughs> No, so actually, you're, you're a castaway now? I was wondering uh, about that scraggly beard you've got. Just kidding. And, uh, you know, it's true, actually. And uh, fortunately, our listeners can't see. But no, actually, I've, I've been feeling like weirdly uh, grateful. Maybe not weirdly, but, you know, uh, for things like still having a job and still being able to work from home and, you know, a, a low body temperature, all that kind of stuff. Same. Well, why don't we, uh, we're not really going to do a formal Husky headlines, but there's a lot of interesting news happening around campus and there's stuff to be grateful for, which is not really a good segue, but whatever. <laughs> UConn's efforts to assist our friends and colleagues at UConn Health have been going pretty well. There's uh, some good stuff on UConn today. Take a look about kind of an all-hands effort, not only to make personal protective equipment for UConn Health doctors, but also there's a drive-up testing station at UConn Health in Farmington that's doing really well and required a lot of people to do a lot of difficult things in a short amount of time. There is now, if you are a UConn student, there is now a walk-up COVID-19 testing facility on the store's campus. It's in the ice cream truck, which is parked behind the infirmary on Glenbrook Road. So uh, it's free. If you're a student, you can walk right up or drive right up. The drive-up area is separate from the walk-up area, so there's no intermingling. And you take a test, and you'll get a mask and some advice on social distancing, and then uh, you'll get your results. Do we know how many students are still on campus? It's more than 1,000, I think. Wow. Yeah, a lot of international students, Okay. uh, of course, weren't able to uh, go home. Really interesting. I loved the story of the chemistry department. I think, is it a PhD student that started kind of an effort to get all the lab equipment, goggles and masks together, and then that kind of blossomed to departments all over campus. And Barnes & Noble Bookstore had a lot of PPE that they were collecting and sending to UConn Health. So I thought that was pretty amazing effort there. Yeah, everyone's really kind of pitched in. I mean, I don't want to be one of those people who's like, oh, maybe this is a blessing in disguise. But um you know, a uh, crisis really does show you who 
you are, and a lot of people have proven to be exemplary. Absolutely. Uh, in this. Ken, you've got some news. Well, a couple of stories that I've been working on, one that was posted this morning, Professor Dave Atkin in the Department of Communication, working in conjunction with one of his former students uh, who happens to be in China as a professor now, did some research based on risk communication. Actually, in China, his former student did a look at what happened with communication as the pandemic started to occur and then spread throughout the 31 provinces in China and came up with the intuitive, I think, result that people who pay attention to the advisories and follow instructions uh, will then practice safe living and hand washing and things like that, whereas those who are with what's called an optimistic bias will kind of ignore that and put themselves at risk. It's a very interesting initial study that was conducted in the last week of January, first week of February, as this whole thing was starting to get some real attention in the United States. And so that's on the Yukon Today website. Also, I spoke this week with two people from the Connecticut Small Business Development Center, Joe Ercolano and Greg Lewis, who are working with small business owners in the state of Connecticut. UConn is involved with the Small Business Development Center, and they're getting the kind of questions you might expect, but most of the questions are when are the loans or the financial support coming from the business sector, which is made available through the uh, legislation passed in Congress, and how can we access this and make sure that we're going to get some help. So those are the things that are going on. That's uh, obviously something that's going to continue. I'll be writing about that hopefully by the beginning of next week. Very nice. As we talked about last time, uh, we have a sort of reduced program as we're doing uh, because of our new reality, forcing us to do different things and improvise and adapt and overcome. And uh, this week, our feature story is by Julie, and it's about one of my favorite faculty members on at UConn. Julie, why don't you tell us what you've got for us? I will. So this was recorded before social distancing was in place. I talked with Sarah McAnulty. So Sarah McAnulty recently earned her PhD, and she's now an assistant research professor in molecular and cell biology who studies squid. Her Skype a Scientist project has been covered in our own Yukon magazine and across national media outlets, and she was widely quoted in the press a few months ago when Apple released an anatomically incorrect squid emoji. We talk about that in the interview. So as I mentioned, she came to our studio long before social distancing was put in place, so some of her talk about gatherings at local bars, it was long before all this. But she's really fun and funny, and I had a great time talking to her, so check it out. Yep, absolutely. Why do you study squid? So we study Hawaiian bobtail squid. This is in uh, Spencer Nyholm's lab in molecular and cell biology. We work on these bobtail squid because we want to know how animals and bacteria communicate with one another. And so this uh, squid has a, a specialized organ in it called the light organ. And that's basically like a, a little pouch with bacteria in it. And so the bacteria bioluminesce, so they create light. And then the squid is able to camouflage at night with moonlight coming down from above being able to sense how much light is coming down from above and then use the bacterial light to match that light. And so a predator swimming below, looking up to find like little prey-shaped silhouettes, when the squid has the light to match the moonlight, 
the predators can't see them. That's and so, cool. so uh, it's, a, it's a really cool symbiosis. And then it's really convenient for studying how animals and bacteria live uh, beneficially because it just is one species of bacteria that live in this light organ. And if you compare that to like, you know, a mouse or a rabbit or these other model systems that you often think about in labs, they have maybe like a hundred or more, sometimes a thousand species of bacteria that live in them. So understanding communication between bacteria and an animal in those models is like listening to everybody talking at a party all at the same time with the music going. It's like really, really hard to figure out who's saying what and what it all means. But in a squid, you've got one-to-one. So if it's coming from bacteria, you know, oh, that's Vibrio fisheri talking. And if it's coming from a squid, you know it's the bobtail squid. So it just makes things easier for us as scientists. So what kinds of things, I don't know, recently or um, throughout your studies have you discovered or what are some of the big findings that you've made? Yeah, so we haven't published my like big findings yet, but broad brushstrokes, like we were looking at how immune cells of squid, which are like the white blood cells that you have in humans, how they can tell the difference between the beneficial bacteria and everybody else. Because the squid needs to be really good at knowing who belongs in that light organ and who needs to be eliminated Um, because it's sort of open to the seawater. We don't really think, though, that any other bacteria gets in there. And so we wanted to see if the immune system plays some sort of role here. And so um, I was basically learning how the immune cells read bacteria, sort of, to determine, okay, who do I have here? Should I destroy it? Should I let it go? What do we do? And so that, that was what I worked on. The thing that you have been very busy with and gotten lots of attention for is Skype a Scientist, which is the coolest project ever. Tell me what that is and why you started it. Yeah, absolutely. So Skype a Scientist is a nonprofit that I started in 2017. The main project that we do is matching scientists with uh, classrooms and other groups all around the world for Q&A sessions with scientists about what a scientist does and generally what they know a lot about. So um, it's specifically designed as a Q&A and not as like a scientist giving a lecture because we want people to feel like they've really gotten the chance to meet a scientist and not just get lectured at by one. Because there's plenty of opportunities to hear lectures by scientists online, but we want to form personal connections. Because we've noticed, you know, in the last... 10, 15 years, there's sort of this growing mistrust of science, right? You've got people doing juice cleanses instead of just, you know, eating fruits and vegetables and everything, (laughs) you know, and then we've got people not vaccinating their children. And so I think as scientists, we need to build trust up with people. And I think a lot of times the first step there is just getting a chance to get FaceTime with scientists and realize that we're real people and not how we're depicted in movies and TV, which is like socially awkward, sometimes evil, crazy haired white guys. It's not <laughs> great. you know. So uh, we're trying to break that sort of. And specifically perception. with children. Yeah. So we mostly work with children in the matching. So the Q&A sessions are usually with kids online. But we also do events at bars. Just last night, we were in Manchester, Connecticut at a Labyrinth Brewing. We had like a science trivia night. And sometimes we have more game nights where um, not games like board games, games like you get up and move and you're throwing balls. And, and it's all you learn about science while just getting together with your friends and playing like silly games while drinking a beer. And we also sometimes go to like science festivals and and yeah, that kind of thing. 
scientists are normal people that just really, really like one specific thing and got really deep into that thing, you know? <laughs> like we're not uh, we're not socially awkward most of the time. Yeah. Kids seeing this through the Skype sessions has to be eye-opening to them about what's available for them as well. Absolutely. And so when teachers sign up for this program too, they can tell us if over half of their classroom is a given underrepresented group in STEM. And then we'll match them with a scientist from the same group, which we think is super helpful. Too. And as a side note, we also we're starting to do public art. So I just saw this on this your Twitter. This is a new project. Crowdfunding. Yeah, so cool. I'm super excited about this. So we are crowdfunding to do over time three cities with three artists, three sets of scientists. So the first one we're doing is going to be in Philadelphia. It's going to be in North Philly, um, and we have three scientists who grew up in North Philly that we're going to paint onto a mural. Um, it's going to be great. We got funded in like two days. It's yeah, amazing. And so, so cool. the artist is a cancer biologist in Philly. And then we've got three wildlife biologists that we're going to put up there. They grew up in the neighborhood, which that is just really interesting. Part. It's just great. Yeah. yeah. And so the next one we're doing is going to be uh, Native Alaskans in Alaska. Oh, wow. And yeah, we'll have a native scientist or uh, well, native scientist and a native artist. And uh, we just need to get the funding to get everybody able to do it. And then we're also going to look at uh, maybe Miami as number three. Awesome. I think it's so great that you study squid because that's something that's kind of like attention grabbing anyway. And then you have this passion for science communication and getting science out there. And it's like... It helps that you, <laughs> you yeah have working this. on the cutest possible squid right? definitely and the, the recent emoji thing was really oh, interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you were a big voice in that with the biologically incorrect <laughs> yeah they put a squid's butt on a squid's forehead and uh, <laughs> and you got quoted everywhere I got quoted on that a lot yep I was like I'm sorry uh, to anybody who's professionally mentored me this is like what's the headline is <laughs> squid's butt on forehead says Yukon scientist I'm like oops hey guess what's out there right <laughs> yep whatever works. How did science communication become something that you're so passionate about? Okay, so my first year of grad school, I was in the Nyholm lab, and we didn't have uh, a ton of money at the time. A lot of times labs will go through brief periods of, of not having a grant, totally, totally normal. And I basically just wanted to get my project up and running. And so I was like, I wonder if crowdfunding would work for for science. And so this was uh, 2014. It was right after my first uh, year wrapped up. And so my lab mate, Andrea Surya, who's now uh, a postdoc at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, um, we just started a crowdfunding thing all about the bobtail squid. And we thought, let's just raise a thousand bucks so basically we can, you know, buy shrimp to feed the squid, just like keep the lights on, you know? And uh, quickly it just took off. Like we raised 5,000 bucks in a pretty short period of time. And this was before I had people really listening to me um, at all, which was uh, great. And um, so anyway, while I was doing that, I thought I was doing it like just to get money for science so I could do science. And in the process, I realized I was having as much fun communicating science as I was doing the science. And I was like, I love both, but this is just more fun than I had anticipated. So I kept doing it because it's kind of nice to have a balance of stuff that you're doing. So I would do, you know, the hard thinking science during the day and then do some science communication sitting on my couch at night. And it just sort of grew from there. And then in 2017, there was just a lot of anxiety in the science community. There was a lot of, you know, turnover in our country and everyone was sort of not super confident about how everything was going to go, basically. And so um, there were all these scientists just anxiety spiraling on Twitter. And I was like, we need to take this energy 
and funnel it towards something useful instead of just screaming into the void. And so uh, that's when I started Skype a Scientist because I figured, you know, let's give them something to do. They'll feel better and we'll do something good with it. And so from there, Skype a Scientist has grown into a huge organization. And here we are. And you mentioned Twitter, which you're very good at, Sarah McAttack. Yep. Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, that must be great to have that kind of tool. Today. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Having that amount of reach is great. Although I sometimes I'm like, when I'm tweeting some like supremely stupid thing as I'm like <laughs> scrolling through Twitter and at night on the couch, I'm like, yeah. Are you sure you want to tweet yeah, that stupid that thing? Many like, people, yeah. you have you know forty thousand people reading your like shower thoughts right now, you know? And I'm like, whatever. I try not to think about it because then it I won't say anything. It helps that personality for the science communication thing. It it's humanizes essential. you totally. Yeah, yeah. I want people to feel really comfortable asking whatever question they want, even if they think like maybe I should know that. So oftentimes, like this morning, I just yesterday was uh, at Mansfield Hollow flipping logs looking at uh, centipedes. I don't know the first thing about centipedes. Like I know a lot about squid. I know a lot about a lot of other ocean invertebrates. But when it comes to forest invertebrates, I know nothing really. I know this the same as anybody who's watched the Discovery Channel. And so, um, but I took a picture of one where you saw what looked like big mandibles on either side of its face. And so I just tweeted, like, basically, what the hell is this? Like, what is going on here? (laughs) To show, you know, even though I know a lot about one thing, it doesn't mean I know a lot about everything. Mm -hmm. Scientists aren't super geniuses that know everything about everything. We just know about whatever the thing is that we specialize in. So I want people to feel like it's a safe space for asking stupid questions. That's great. Um, What's next for you? What's coming up? Yeah, so uh, the mural projects are taking a lot of my time right now, and I'm super excited about that. We basically just need to raise money between now and the summertime when it's actually nice enough outside to put paint on a wall. I've been giving talks sort of all over the country on um, science communication, getting scientists kind of feeling empowered to start doing it if they've never done it before. We're working on science communication training for our scientists. It'll be free and available online for anybody to do. Basic program maintenance is an exciting but it is a thing that I do a lot of the time. And so, yeah, that's the main main stuff. Very cool. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And if you're interested, you can learn about Skype a Scientist at skypeascientist.com. On Twitter, at Skype Scientist, because much like UConn 360, Skype a Scientist was taken. And teachers who are interested in the program can browse photos and bios of participating scientists at Instagram.com slash Skype a Scientist. And I noticed during uh, quarantine and distance learning, they're calling it, Sarah was on Twitter connecting parents with some of the scientists to video chat with their kids while they were at home, which was really cool. She is really fun to follow on social media, and she is at Sarah Mac Attack, which is S-A-R-A-H-M-A-C-K Attack, on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. TikTok. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's, the, that's the new frontier. Yeah, I, I ha- love TikTok I so haven't much. dipped into that one yet. I'm a little, a little afraid. I'm still avoiding Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, I'm going to send props out to Julie. I sent you a five-star note yesterday. I saw that. That was very nice. Thank you, Ken. Boosted my spirits. This is the kind of thing podcasts can do that we can't do in print. Yes. Because her enthusiasm jumps out of the the recording. That's very – props to Sarah for being awesome. So uh, now it's time once again for everyone's favorite history segment on our podcast. That's uh, the only history segment on our podcast. And it's, uh, once again, a collaboration. I didn't even should, I shouldn't say collaboration. It's basically just Maxine did all the work. <laughs> Go, Maxine. Uh, and uh, this was something she had mentioned to me now 
we had talked many, many episodes ago about Spanish flu at UConn. By the way, just want to point out, Spanish flu is the name that the 1918-1920 epidemic is commonly known as total misnomer. Did not originate in Spain, had nothing to do with Spain. That sounds familiar. <clears throat> um, Didn't it originate in, like, Kentucky? It's, uh, Kansas. Kansas. Well, Kansas is one of three places it may have originated. None of them are Spain. The reason it got that name is because Spain was not, and they were a neutral country during World War One, and so they did not have press censorship. So all the combatant countries censored any reports of uh, like flu epidemics among the troops because they thought it'd be bad for morale. Mm-hmm. Whereas Spain did not. Spain had a free press, so Spain was reporting on the flu epidemic, and it looked like only Spain had flu. Cases I read about everyone that else. recently. It's yeah. so fascinating. Uh, it's, uh, people in Spain apparently very sensitive about this, and they, they do not call it the Spanish flu. Makes sense. But we'd already talked a little bit about it many episodes ago. But uh, given the time we are in now, it seemed like we should probably revisit it if there was something new to say. And Maxine found a lot of neat stuff. Maxine, uh, do you have anything in front of you? Do you want to talk about some of the stuff you found? Sure. Um, actually, let me pull up the list. So this is actually from the uh, Connecticut campus, volume five, number two, on January 10th, 1920. So we were really in the midst of the, um, the Spanish flu, or um, as it's listed here, influenza. I found a list of UConn's precautions that they sent, was sent out to students of what they should take. None of them are exactly like the ones that we have now. The first thing on the list of telling students to do is do not spit. <laughs> Good call. Some few a few more highlights is do not do not put fingers in the mouth unnecessarily. <laughs> That's the nineteen uh, early nineteen hundreds. Don't touch your face. Well, yeah. It raises the question of, like, what's the necessary putting your fingers in your mouth? <laughs> you beat me eating, to that Eating comment. grapes. <laughs> Some more highlights, uh, I would say, is never allow food, fruit, or an empty soiled dish to stand in rooms. So you can't just leave food out. So if it's left out for... It doesn't say how long. It just says, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. never. So, Tom, do you have any highlights that you saw? I really liked uh, some of these that, and I wonder if it was like a, a way that the university was like subtly trying to introduce just good habits under the guise of like flu protection. Like there's one that was uh, each person should bathe at least twice a week. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, the throwing about of paper, trash, or waste should be prohibited. Like, ah, that's not really going to Don't litter. Yeah, don't litter. Uh, each person should use a toothbrush at least once daily. <laughs> Oh, I sometimes I think about what it must have smelled like back in the day before hygiene was the way it is now. Yeah, that's once a day yeah. and twice a week showers. Whew. Well, think about this, it before is, there was running water. Yeah, rough. This is good advice. Uh, even today, if you use another man's tobacco pouch, do not close it with your teeth. <laughs> so. Oh, we've come a how long many, way. How many with... times, you know, it's like touching your face, closing another man's tobacco pouch with your teeth. You're like, oh, uh, I didn't realize how many the times time, I did that. Right? And then this is a good way to avoid getting into a fight. Never cough or sneeze into the face of another. Oh, and do not put pencils in the mouth, which I, you know, actually I chew on pen cap. So maybe uh, from, from the distance of 100 plus years, Yukon's uh, hygiene authorities are, are scolding me. Well, you know so that... Crayons. You know that in several years, they're going to be like, people really needed that much of a reminder to wash their hands for 20 seconds. Like, you know, this is, they're going to look back on this and be like, guys, really? Yeah. But it's true. In 100 years, when Yukon 360 is still going, presumably with different people. Bleep bloop, uh, bleep bloop, the robot. (laughs) That's right, bleep bloop, the robot. (laughs) They'll look back and say, like, 
But with those humans, it, things must have smelled terrible. Right. Yeah, we, and we also talked last time about how everyone, all the students had to line up every day and be inspected by the campus doctor and nurse, which uh, would be impractical. Today. Yes. Were they taking their temperature like they would do now to screen people, or was it They were more taking of their a... temperature and, quote, and, and examining them for signs of respiratory illness, whatever that meant. Okay. Like, I guess if they were coughing or something, they'd say, hey. But they weren't, as we mentioned, I think last time we talked about this, all these people were gathering in one place to do this, which seems kind of counterintuitive to what we're, what we know yeah. now. Yeah, reading about 1918, 1920 epidemic, which I think a lot of people have been doing lately, it's, uh, they did a lot of the things we do now in terms of like social distancing, like they closed, you know, theaters mm-hmm. and church services were suspended. And like they knew, even though they didn't really understand viruses, they understood like this is transmitted from person to person, right. so we shouldn't. But then they would, all, at the same time, cities would have these, like, giant war bond parades. because Philadelphia war did one, right? And there was a huge spread. Like, 200,000 people were at Oof. the parade. And, like, in the middle of this, like, horrible... Right. I mean, it just... I don't know what they were thinking. Well, some people just don't know. And back then, they didn't have all this info. They did have um, a suggestion in here that said, a thousand cubic feet of airspace should remain between each person. Or allowed between each person. So I think they were trying to practice a social distancing. A thousand cubic feet? Yeah, it says a thousand. How how does one measure that? That's like pretty (laughs) big, right? That's Mm. the thing. Like, uh, yeah, six feet. Six feet. I can can picture six feet. Right. A thousand cubic feet of air. I don't even know what that would be. A lot. That's, yeah, that's just go stand in the middle of a field by yourself, I think. (laughs) Which was easy back then. (laughs) Right. There were fields to stand in. See if we can find this. (laughs) <laughs> the other thing that uh, Maxine found that delighted me was, you know, they so they, they had classes at UConn uh, during this time because society didn't really shut down. All I mean, you know, and also lots of people died back then. So they did cancel some things on campus, including on-campus entertainment, which they did have 100 years ago. This is the, the article she found from uh, Valentine's Day, 1920. This is the tail end of the epidemic, the winter of 1920. The third number of the entertainment course has been postponed indefinitely as one of the means of preventing the possibility of an influenza epidemic here. The committee has been informed that it will be impossible to secure the services of Mr. Gilliland, the noted comedian, as his tour of the East ends shortly. So I, I can't tell you how much time I spent yesterday <laughs> trying to figure out who trying that was. to find out who Mr. Gilliland, the noted comedian, was. Oh, I had no luck. In 1920, that was? Yeah, 1920. Wow. I, they'd given his first name, but no. So the only vaudeville performer named Gilliland I could uh, find was a fiddler. It was probably not. Oh, man. Not somebody that uh, made a big mark, I guess. Well, we do have the no. answer to the question of how much is 1,000 cubic feet. 1,200 oh. cubic feet is a 10 by 15 storage thing, 17 linear feet. Okay. Wow. That's pretty, yeah. That's That would be tough. To, they're saying now, aren't they, that six feet might not be enough even? Well, 10 by 10 oh. storage feet is 800 I'm, cubic I'm feet. I'm going so. with that. I'm yeah. going with the... Uh... Yeah, the 1920 bucket. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1,000 cubic feet. I've just been holed up in my house. Can I ever? Can I make a request for next time we record? Yeah. Can we find, like, a really happy celebration Tom's History Corner? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Gilliland isn't happy for you? I mean, it is, you but, mean? like, we've, we've looked back on this flu a couple times. Let's, like, find a time when UConn, like, came together and did something awesome. That's my request. Okay. Maxine, let's work on that. Let's find we can something do um, spring weekend in like 2010. What was what yes. year was that? <laughs> I can yeah. tell you all about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's before or after the fire. As my as my friend said on the local news, it's 20,000 people uniting under the idea of Yukon. Quote Ashley mm. Yaloff. 
Rest mm. in peace, spring weekend. That's one way to put it. Uh, I was not an employee at the time. <laughs> well, I think that's probably it for this week. Um, <laughs> We're done. <laughs> we, do we have any any uh, tips for the folks out there in the in our new COVID reality? I have one. What's that? I got this. I got this from a friend of mine who also works in higher education, although not at UConn. If you're if you're desperate for toilet paper, which a lot of people are, or any paper product for that matter, uh, you can't find it in the stores because they're all gone. Because there's a big uh, run on these products. Try restaurant supply companies who often sell direct to the public. You go online, just type in restaurant supply company, and uh, they have. Huge stocks of this stuff. Paper towels, toilet paper, Kleenex, cleaners. These are not things they're going to be selling to restaurants for the foreseeable future because right. restaurants can't be open to the public. So uh, they're selling them out of the public at discounted rates. So you get um, one of those giant rolls that won't fit on your toilet paper paper holder? Depends on the company. Some of them sell individual rolls. Nice. Too. All right. I'll check the it out. The friend who told me about this got a, a shipment of 96 rolls of toilet paper <gasps> Holy for cow. Like $60. We are down to about six. So I will be, I will be Googling this shortly. Yep. I wonder how good the tip. bidet market's doing right now. That's a good question. I, I wondered about that. It's probably pretty. I saw not a bidet, but I saw an ad today for Gold Bond hand cream that was like, wash your hands a ton and then make sure they're moisturized. So it's kind of funny to think about how people, companies capitalize on what's going it's on true. right now. It's interesting. I have bought more moisturizing lotion in the past three weeks than probably the past the five years before that. Combined. Yeah, my hands are like falling off. It's all good. My question <laughs> is, where are you finding it? I, I don't see it anyplace. Really? Yeah. Uh, C- CVS right there uh, in Store Center. Well, I was thinking That's of going to Store Center because there's probably less people going to the one in Willimantic. Yeah, there's, it's deserted right now. So, and that, that's another thing, too. Like, CVS has a... I, I feel like I, I shouldn't give this out. It's my secret stash. But uh, <laughs> the CVS and Store Center has a lot of the products that are hard to find in other places. Mm. I think I may Nobody make around. that trip. Anybody, anybody else learn anything new? Anything fun and exciting? Mm. Well, I find a lot of stuff to watch on YouTube that I haven't watched in a long time. <laughs> yep. No, who's your favorite YouTuber? Well, it's not a YouTuber. It's, I'm, 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 heroes. Logan Paul. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Logan Paul, yeah, absolutely. You can get that on cable TV. That's, that's are, I'm, I'm, the... I'm finding I'm finding concerts from the Capitol Theater in Passaic. There you go. From years ago that I used to I used to have a flash pass to the Capitol Theater when I was a reporter in New Jersey, and I saw the Rolling Stones and interviewed Springsteen backstage, and uh, saw a lot of people there, and. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but they were recording all of those. They're all in black and white. That's but awesome. But they're all recorded. You can, if you if you look for Capital with a OL Theater, Passaic, New Jersey, you can find a bunch of stuff. I watched an REM concert from like 1992 there. That's oh, awesome. Really cool. Yeah. And it's pretty decent sound on on my widescreen TV. Very cool. Anyone <sighs> else? Should we uh, should we give our social media information to the I don't know. I don't know if people want to, to follow want to follow me right now. It's it's pretty sad. I, did you guys see all my typos? I know you're not on Twitter, Tom. I had two tweets in a span of two days that had like major typos in them and didn't notice for like hours afterwards. My dad pointed out to me. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> I feel like every tweet you have has a follow up tweet where it's like a correction. <laughs> <laughs> they should let you edit them. It's not fair. I usually um, I notice uh, typos in tweets that like get some engagement. Right, they were. And then you go back and you're like, oh, yeah, they were two good tweets, and they were like, yeah, yeah it was really, really embarrassing. Anyway, I'm at Julie Bartuka on Twitter. If you want to follow me retweeting UConn stuff sometimes, and sometimes 
Sad news about coronavirus. Maxine, where can people find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Maxine Philavong. I haven't tweeted in like two days, so there's something really exciting going on there. Ken, what about you? Uh, people uh, find you on your, your Twitter account, your Facebook, your TikTok? Uh, none of those. You can <laughs> find me on UConn today, as you know, because you're editing all of my stuff now. Yes. Uh, and and I, I believe we're going to be back on WHUS with new programming. I've got the uh, studio set up here in Mansfield Center with the wall of sound uh, ready to go. I don't have to do anything other than step, take one step and get anything I want. So hopefully that Very will nice. be done by the weekend. And, of course, WHUS will, will still have the, uh, their version of the Yukon 360 podcast. Ken, I'm going to set up a TikTok for you. So during quarantine, you can just learn some new TikTok dances. Oh, I want to see yes. Ken do the savage dance. Yes. <laughs> yes. Not going to happen. Uh, folks out there in listener land, if we set up a GoFundMe, you donate to get Ken on TikTok. The answer is yes. We will donate it all to a good cause. Yes, we'll donate it all to like a uh, uh, COVID relief. Yes. Tom, are you coming back to Twitter after Easter or are you staying away? You know, it seems like this was the best time to be away from Twitter, and I'm not sure I want to jeopardize yeah, that. But but you'll probably come back because you can't stay away. Yeah, you can also find me on Instagram too. Just type in my name. Uh, you know what you more... do need to start doing though? Hmm. The old main account. I do. I should. Yeah, I should come back to that. Yes. All right. Well, good. This was a good uh, good episode. I think. Mm. I hope everyone enjoyed it. If you do enjoy it, uh, we're at UConn Podcast. You can you can somebody is on that Twitter account. Uh, whether it's uh, Julie or Maxine or me. All right. Well, well thanks uh, for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. And we hope everyone is uh, being safe and uh, washing your hands and practicing social distancing. And however much you want to, do not seal another man's tobacco pouch with your teeth. Thanks, everyone. Maxine, can you edit this to make sure we don't sound so miserable? <laughs> yes. <laughs> good, good luck.